In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Something that sticks out to you when you read the Gospel according to St. John, from the beginning all the way through to the end, is how much emphasis is put on believing. Time and time again, St. John has Jesus talking about belief in Jesus as the Son of God, or Jesus as the Messiah, or even belief in the reason why Jesus came to earth. The first chapter of this gospel opens with Jesus as the Word, and that all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Jesus, speaking with Nicodemus, asks him why it is easy for Nicodemus to believe earthly things, but found it more difficult to believe in heavenly things. And rounding off that conversation is the famous John 3.16 passage, which says, so that everyone who believes in him. And just a little bit further in this third chapter, we have a condemnation of people who are not believing, or rather that they have condemned themselves, as the writer put it. We could go through much of the rest of this gospel and hear this dialogue or something similar to it. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the resurrection and the life? Or even at the Last Supper? In Jesus' farewell discourses, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. When you pay attention to this pattern, it becomes apparent that belief is critical for Jesus. And he asks about belief and talks about belief when the stakes are rather high. It is not the flippant question of, well, do you believe in God? Or even as our enlightenment era might ask, do you believe in a supreme being? As in taking on a deist position. No, rather this is a deep, probing question that asks about the essence of everything that you understand, the way that you view the world, and the choices you make in your life and actions because of that belief. Let me give you a quick example. I am not very good at mathematical, complex mathematical equations like trigonometry, calculus. That's just not where my education is or where my gifts lie. But I know my sums and my multiplication tables up to the twelfth column. Twelve times one is twelve, twelve times two is twenty-four, etc. And I can do this fairly well most of the time. I understand concepts of addition, that if you have two of something over here, and two more of the same thing over there, and you put them together that you now have four items. Now, in all of ours early childhood, 
we might not understand the simple concept of two plus two. If you asked someone who is about two years old, three years old, to think in an abstract way about that, you have two blackbirds here and two more blackbirds there, so what do you have? The answer might come back more blackbirds or three blackbirds and that one more over there. But by learning to count birds, one, two, three, four, and knowing that you have groupings, one and two, three and four, there's two here, there's two there, all of a sudden you learn how to make the concept of four, or two plus two equals four. And some of that is through memorization, and some of it is also because of proofs. We can apply the same method to multiplication tables, simple subtraction and division, even the calculation of a right-angled triangle. But if you tell me that 1,759 multiplied by 9,863 comes out to 17,349,017, I might have to put pencil to paper or grab my calculator to verify what you have just told me. And this leads us to St. Thomas. Now, before any of us begin to roll our eyes at him or give him that awful moniker of doubting Thomas, we need to remember several things about him. First, he was a disciple and was part of the inner group who had close connections with Jesus. And Thomas, when he is quoted in St. John's Gospel, shows courage in one instance and also faith, but a questioning faith in the other. St. Thomas also had the unfortunate misfortune to not be with the rest of the disciples on Easter evening when our risen Lord appeared to them. Now the question that arises in my mind is like this. What would we do if many of our closest friends came to us and told us news that is completely unbelievable or perhaps completely believable, but you've missed out on the revelation. Imagine that you have sort of received news that a POW is returning home after years of being missing, almost out of the blue, it would seem. And your entire association of friends knows about it, except for you. Or your close relative, let's just say the parent. And it is revealed that at an event that you were not at, maybe not even invited to, and your daughter says yes to a ring that was given to her, but you didn't see it happen. You hear about it secondhand. Do you see? Thomas may not have been doubting Jesus' resurrection or the details that the disciples were giving him. Thomas may have been doubting the claim, much like when we say when we hear some sorts of news, well, I'll believe it when I see it, or 
I'll get the full scoop from her when she comes home this weekend. Let's return to our maths for just a few minutes. I mentioned something about verification, about how I might work out the math myself or grab a calculator and double-check your work. In order for me to do that, I need to have the skills or the knowledge to prove or disprove the claim. If I work with pen and paper, I need to know my multiplication tables. I need to know the rules for doing long-form multiplication problems. I need to remember to always carry the one over to the next column. There are certain things that I must know in order to prove your answer is correct. I might not be doubting your answer, as in, I don't believe you, so I'm going to check your work. As much as I might be saying, this is a very important part of our finding. And so, I need to verify, to make certain you didn't skip a step or type the wrong number into the keypad. You see the difference? Well, for 2,000 years, St. Thomas has been given a rather bad reputation about doubting. But I sometimes wonder if what he is truly saying is, I'm glad you've had that experience, but I need to have it too. I need to see Jesus at work. I need to experience the same grace and comfort which you have. And the only way that that is going to happen is if I can physically touch him. Even prove to myself that those wounds are real and that he did indeed die. Remember, the disciples who were gathered had seen the side of Jesus. They had been shown the nail marks and even had Jesus breathe on them. Thomas has only their story to believe and accept. So, Jesus comes the next Sunday that is, today, Jesus comes today and gives to Thomas everything he needs for coming to belief. Jesus is generous with himself and says, What more do you need? Come and see my side. Place your hand in the nail scars. And having had all of his questions answered, having had all of his verification proved, having had all of the experiences that the disciples prior, him, prior to him had had, Thomas then replies, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is a statement of complete belief. And it is the only time in John's gospel that someone identifies Jesus as Lord and God. Thomas, 
and the person who doubted makes a profession of faith that has echoed throughout the centuries. It is Thomas who puts the entire gospel according to John in order and completion and proclaims Jesus not just as the Messiah, not just as the Master, but as God the Word and the Lord. My Lord and my God. When you need something from Jesus, something to help you come to faith, something to remind you of the faith that you may have once had, one of the best places to start is that simple statement of faith, my Lord and my God. That is part of the reasoning behind saying either the Nicene Creed, which we will do in mere moments, or the Apostles' Creed during each liturgy to remind us, and not in an exhaustive way, but rather in a simple way, of what all Christians holding common for faith. There are times that our faith is shaken or when doubts seem to surmount upon us like waves crashing into us or perhaps the annoyance of mosquitoes in summer. Look to Christ to help us. Look to Christ to help you work through it. He will give you, through grace, what you need to come to belief. And the Holy Spirit will also come and teach you, nudge you towards the answers that you are looking for. But know this also. When you come to faith, when you find what you need to satisfy the questions, the doubts, the initial hesitation, then you must also become like the disciples who went and found Thomas and told Thomas what good things they had seen and invite them to come even with or perhaps most especially with their doubts. There is nothing that you and I can truly do to convince someone or to convert someone. That's the working of the Holy Spirit and their own surrender. But we can set them on their way. We can be open to their questions. And we may just be the instruments that God the Holy Spirit uses to guide them into faith, love, and hope. Remember our blessed Lord's words to St. Thomas. Do not doubt. Do not have unfaith or do not be faithless. Do not 
be believing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.